Hi, my name is Londe Yusuf. And my name is Reggie Williams. And we're the co-founders of Black Film Space. Black Film Space is a grassroots organization dedicated to enhancing the skill sets of black filmmakers and building a community of creatives. We host events such as screenwriting workshops, panels, mixers, and other events that are designed to support black content creators. In the next episode of the Black Film Space podcast, we interview Michelle Clementine. Michelle is an assistant camera who has worked on If Bill Street Could Talk and See You Yesterday. We talk with Michelle about her journey to becoming an AC, how joining the union has improved her career, cameras, and much more. And now, on to our interview. All right, Michelle, thank you for joining us on the Black Film Space podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. How did you get into being an assistant camera? I think it all kind of started uh, when I was like in high school. I was into photography. We had a uh, dark room at my school um, at Urban Academy. And it was the thing that kind of turned me on like to cameras. Um, My teachers used to say I was really good at it and that I should really explore it. And it was something I kind of didn't give much thought to you know like these adults don't know what they're talking about (laughs) as kids do Mm -hmm. um and so I kind of just left that alone after I graduated for some time but then as I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life I found myself at an internship at a Tribeca Film Festival and it was around the time that I was trying to figure out what kind of um major I should I should uh pick in college and so I had a film production, uh, you know, major at Brooklyn College. And so I just decided to pick that. And I was terrified from that day forward. Mm. So <laughs> it was kind of scary because I had no idea what it meant. I, I didn't know anything about the film industry. And um, after graduating, I just kind of linked up with my classmates um, who all like kind of gave me PA jobs. And from the PA jobs, I kind of harassed the camera people and um, would just ask them and beg them to hire me as their PA. And one of them, this really awesome guy named Bob Ragazine, told me to, told me he couldn't teach me anything on the job. He was just like, I can't do this. There's so much to learn. Mm -hmm. You need to work at a rental house. And so that was the first time I ever heard anything about a rental house. And so the biggest ones in New York um, are Panavision and Aerie. Mm-hmm. And so I applied to Aerie and um, a year after I applied, I got in. Oh, nice. And so, yeah. And so for anybody who doesn't know, working at like um, working at a rental house, it's kind of like it's kind of like grad school that you're getting paid to attend. You know, you're getting to know all the top gear um, in the industry. You're meeting all the top DPs and camera assistants in the world who are renting out this equipment and so it was a great opportunity to not only learn the gear but to also network with the people who would eventually hire me Mm -hmm. out of that um company because that's that position being a prep tech is kind of a revolving door like it's specifically for camera assistants to learn the gear to be hired out to join the union uh pretty much as soon as they leave there Mm. and what what 
were you doing there as a prep tech exactly? Uh, at first, you know, it's kind of like the the really like boring job tasks, like cleaning cases and organizing the equipment and stuff. But through that, it's like you're able to see um, how to care for equipment. Um, and then from there, you once you kind of know your way around all the gear, because they had a huge warehouse in Jersey um, that they had just moved to. And it was a very big space with a lot of equipment. And just getting to know the gear from there. And then once you're entrusted with it, with, with knowing, knowing your way around the gear, how to, you know, if you get one piece, you know, it one piece usually means that you got to get all these other pieces mm -hmm. to make it all work together cohesively. Um, and then being able to recognize that and do that, then it's just like, okay, now we trust you to work with these ACs who are loyal customers or who, you know, we work with for years and you kind of just want to, it's having good customer service skills and being able to talk with um, the ACs who are eventually prepping a camera package for a feature film, for a commercial, you know, for a music video or what have you. Mm -hmm. What do you think made you a strong AC over time? Like what technical skills? A lot of it is really just being able to initially, at least like taking orders and because um, there's a there's a hierarchy and it really is kind of like uh, the military in the sense where it's just like when somebody says something, you know, you just do it and you kind of don't want to want them to repeat themselves. And so just having an overall like good listening skills and work ethic and like a go to like, um, you know, a, a sort of take charge attitude is always going to help. But really, I think just the thing that benefited me the most was being myself and kind of, um, you know, having a positive attitude. Because a lot of times, you know, you're, you're meeting guys who are in this industry for like 20, 30 years, you know, mm -hmm. and they've kind of like they've been around the block. They know what they're doing and they kind of just have like a no BS approach to a lot of things. So it's just like if you could keep them in a good mood you know, get their coffee, make sure their batteries and everything are, are, are charged or, or replaced when they're low, you know, just making sure that they look good doing their job. It, it served me well. And, you know, being able to make a conversation a lot of times, like people just want to be around positive people, even if your work ethic isn't a one, you know? Uh, so I think a lot of times, like when, especially when you're, when I first joined, you know, I don't, I wouldn't know everything that being on set entailed. You know, there's a lot of surprises that you might not expect that'll happen. Like it'll suddenly start raining and now you got to make sure that everything is covered and stuff. So it's just like knowing that, knowing what the weather forecast would be for the day, mm -hmm. knowing that, um, okay, if it is going to rain or if it is going to snow, like having like wet gear, ready to go you know having our tents covering things so that if it does pour on us suddenly we have that as our first protection and then we do the specific protections of like the lenses and the cameras and stuff mm -hmm. so it's just having i think it's just having a sort of take charge attitude about things being yourself and having a sort of lighthearted, um you know positive attitude and and really just kind of being you know seeing where the puzzle pieces are missing and trying to find those pieces and put it in the puzzle. Mm. You know, that that's really a lot of it. Um, you know, there's things that 
the ACs might not be, the ACs or DP or the operator might not be uh, paying attention to, you know? So if you're putting in an ND filter, you know that, you know, you're losing a part of a stop, a third of a stop for each one. So knowing that, okay, I should open the lens at this point. So it's just like, once you get into the camera and all those things, first it starts from the outside stuff of like the batteries, like when you're a loader or a second, but then as you make your way as a first AC and then knowing like, okay, the DP is adding an ND filter probably because they want to open up on the iris on the lens. And so that does a different thing um, on the focus aspect of things, you know, they might want to have the lens wide open. So that's why they're stopping down in front of it instead of at the iris. So it's those types of things that it's like, I have to be aware of. And if the DP hasn't changed them, like making sure like, Hey, I added this filter. You want me to open up, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That's what I meant to tell you, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like looking out for everybody and making sure that things are working um, efficiently and effectively. Mm-hmm. So it seems like um, you have to almost be able to read read their mind a little bit. Yeah. A lot of, the, a lot of um, aspects of the job is kind of being intuitive in that way. You know, um, a lot of times, you know, I, I took a course uh, for cinematography. It was it wasn't really a course, but it was like an in, a pilot program that they're trying to introduce at American Film Institute. Um, and one of the things, one of the books that they gave us to read was like, you know, a psychology book mm-hmm. and knowing how to deal with um, knowing how to read people by their body language or the you know, the nonverbal cues and knowing how to deal in different circumstances with different personalities, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's just like for every action, there has to be a trigger for that. So why did you ask me to do this? It's because, so it's like having follow through, you know, like if, if, if I'm being instructed to do this, or if I see the gap for doing that, does that mean that I have to now use this piece of equipment to balance out things across the board? And so if I know that they're putting up a light, and it's kind of shining into my lens. Like I had to know, okay, maybe I should put a mask in front of the lens so that I don't get, because I'm, I'm not getting the good glare. I'm getting like just all this stuff. It's spilling into my lens and you don't really see the image clearly. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to assume that you want me to do this, you know, and nine times out of 10, that's what it is. But then if the DP, if, if I'm doing something in the DPC is like, no, that's not what I want. You know, there's, there's communication that happens and, we're just trying to have like clarity from the top to bottom. Mm-hmm. Okay. What, yeah. uh, what do you like about being an AC? I, I like, uh, the technical aspects of it. I like, um, I like just knowing the camera and moving my way around the camera. And, you know, there's sometimes where you have some people who they, they skip the AC route, you know, they kind of go into camera, like, knowing that they want to be DPs. So they may like start off as a gaffer or they start off as, um, you know, camera op or even a DP straight out of school, you know, and all that's fine. You know, everyone has their path. But I think that what I appreciate about my experience is that if I do have opportunities to DP, I know that what an AC needs to get their job done, you know, and Mm -hmm. I think that it just informs everything that I do going forward, you know, and it's kind of helped me in my life, like, just in general, that it's just like, you have to be able to be intuitive, when you see a problem, you kind of um, 
you address it, you get to it, you solve the problem. And it's just like, you're just trying to find ways. It's like, we use, it's like MacGyver uh, ways of fixing things, you know, because you just, things are supposed to work a certain way and they work a certain way, maybe at the checkout or when you're at the rental house. But then when you're on location, you don't expect that, you know, you're going to be on a beach and the sand is affecting your equipment in a different way. So how, how do I prevent sand from getting into the gears of this camera? Mm -hmm. You know, how do I protect it from water? What if there's too much wind and like, I have to strengthen and tie down certain things and, Oh, maybe I should get a grip to give me some sandbags for this. And it's knowing, like just knowing how to talk to people. I think it helped develop my social skills. I was a very shy person, Mm. you know, when I started out in college and now I like, you know, what I really like about this industry is that you meet all new people all the time. It's just like from every generation and, you know, people have different um, backgrounds that they come into this thing with, you know, and it's just, it's really a lot of fun. It honestly, like it's, it's not like open heart surgery. We're not hurting anybody. Um, We're pushing culture forward Mm. and, um, and to be around other like-minded people who are kind of, for the most part, pretty creative and open. It's just like, I learn a lot of different things every day that I'm on set. Mm. And I've been doing this now, like for about 14 years. Oh, wow. So it's been, it's been a really nice thing. And I still feel like I'm going like the first day on a job still feels like, like the first day at school, Mm. you know, like I get that the butterflies in the pit of my stomach and, you know, I feel a little bit anxious. I might not be able to sleep the night before, Mm. but then once you get through day one, it's just like, you're applying all your experience and knowledge and it's just like, oh, this is how it works. And no job is ever the same. And so as you're always on your toes and it keeps it keeps it exciting and interesting. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that every every time you go on set, you learn something new. What What's the last thing that you learned? I was on set yesterday and um, I learned that the easy rig isn't as awful as I thought <laughs> it could be. I was working, I was camera operating um, for my friend's test shoot for a feature film. And uh, there was some, you know, we had to do, I had to like handhold the camera and they wanted the handheld work. And um, we were with the Venice and this thing was easily like about 30, 35 pounds or something with all the gack on it. And um, I used the easy rig. And it's something I try to avoid. I try to just hold the camera on my own. But this thing didn't have like the right attachments for a proper like shoulder mount. And so I use the easy rig and it's such a big goofy thing, but it actually like really held the weight of the camera. Um, so it didn't kill me. Like it didn't kill my back or my shoulders or anything. And so, um, And so that was a nice thing to know, because a lot of times I'm just trying to avoid looking goofy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And sometimes you can't help that, you know, with some of the camera gear that we have. And it really is heavy. And a lot of things like for me, it's really um, safety is always like the priority for me and my crew. You know, like I always want to make sure I always tell people don't run on set. I don't care how fast or how much somebody's yelling. Like, just don't run on set. Don't feel like you have to pick up the heaviest thing and run over here. And, you know, we, I don't want anybody tripping and breaking their back or anything like that. So it's just like realizing that the easy rig is actually a, a pretty good, solid uh, piece of equipment. 
Can you also talk about um, maybe communities of other ACs that you're a part of? And like, you know, is there, like, do people exchange a lot of like tips and information amongst each other? How do you learn about the latest ways to do your job? Well, we do, I mean, I'm in the union. So Local 600 is really good with communicating um, the newest everything. Anything that comes out of NAB, you know, it's reported on like at least in the magazines or in different things. And so, and then I, I'm, I kind of am part of like a bunch of different Facebook groups where they also like discuss new pieces of gear. So a lot of times I just kind of, I just really observe uh, what's working, you know, and sometimes like part of um, the camera department, you have, I call them, I call us the camera geeks, you know, because a lot of time we're geeking out over the newest piece of equipment that somebody could show off to each other. And say, oh man, that's cool. I just spent like, you know, eight thousand dollars on this little on this little pin that does this. And like, oh, okay, cool. Like, is that worth me getting? You know, and it's just like a lot of times, like, I don't think it is because at the end of the day, as an AC, I like to consider uh, my camera operator. You know, and a lot of times we have um, now that we have more women as camera operators. We have people of different heights and sizes and stuff. So it's just like, I just try to keep the weight of my camera as light as possible because a lot of t- on a lot of projects, there are a lot of, you know, handheld situations. And so it's just like, I don't like to put too much stuff on my camera that makes it then heavier uh, for the camera op to do their job. So for me, what's what's helped me is just being able to I learned a lot of the old school approaches to doing things, you know, like I would take a hacky sack and throw it like in a room that I know is 30 feet long, you know, so I would throw that, you know, I would stand against one wall, throw the hacky sack and estimate how far that distance is and then measure it out. And so that I could be able to, by eye, tell the distance between anything from one to 30 feet. You know, and anything after that, I could use a laser. It's just those types of things. I've observed people. I've seen what works. I've seen what doesn't work. And I kind of like do my own thing um, and, and how what will work for me. And for me, I just feel like a lot of the old school, like tried and true things, with or without technology, um, with or without the advances that technology has afforded a lot of people, you know, I kind of don't need certain pieces of equipment like a lot of people like the light ranger you know a lot of people like um what is it the horns the um i'm forgetting the proper name for it right now but people throw horns on so that they could digitally like uh tell the distance between something and and it's automatically focusing for them and i don't like any of that i don't like adding that weight to my camera sometimes it's not accurate and i end up and i don't want to rely on it too much so you know, I watch Terminator. I'm not trying to rely on the robots too much for <laughs> doing my job and replace me. So, yeah. True. <laughs> what is a what is a light ranger? Light ranger is this new piece of equipment that Preston came out with, and it's basically kind of like a digital sort of like sonar or something where it's a digital like tape measure where it, it if you place it somewhere, it will tell anything in front of the camera. It will, t- it will automatically put it in focus. You know, you pick a section of the monitor, like this is what I want, this is what it's reading. 
and it will it will automatically put everything in focus in that thing and that might work but it's just like what if you're in a situation where you know um where the camera is on a dolly and there's something moving in front of it in the foreground you know and then it'll automatically focus to the foreground and you could set it so that it doesn't do that but for me I just don't I want I like being on my toes I like being you know, aware of everything. It's kind of what keeps me awake because sometimes mm-hmm. you can be on set and it's like not a lot of action going on. Mm-hmm. It could be a lot of monologuing and all that stuff and it could easily get, you know, kind of sleepy time at that point. Mm-hmm. But um, so it's just like, I like to do things that keep me on my toes and challenge me um, mentally so that I can I can do my job and and, and be aware of everything happening. I mean, that's what works for me. It's not to knock anybody who does use like these equipment for assistance, but you know, I, I don't. And I think that's okay. It's, it's, it's worked for me so far. Right. Sometimes the old school approaches are fine, just fine, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, even if you do use uh, the, the new technology, I mean, just having that old school as a baseline so that if anything goes out, mm-hmm. you know, like, for, for whatever reason a cable gets busted or the batteries are all dead or something happened and it just got destroyed I can still do my job and I know that I'm performing at a top level you know and that's really what it is for me so it's just like if I'm already performing at that level why do I need all these extra things I don't I'm good you know you talked mentioned the union I'd love to hear more about the difference the union has made or like you know has your, was your career different before you became union? Because I know that's like a big thing for actors. I think that for me as a Black woman, you know, a Black Latina, that I just needed anything that would validate me, you know? I, when I came into the industry, like film was still the thing um, for TV shows, for commercials. You know, people were still shooting in film. And that year was heavy. And so when I, when I was a PA and when I was trying to get on as a camera PA or working with the camera department, these guys were flat out telling me, no, no, get out of here. Go be a producer. Go be a writer. Like, don't you want to do that? This is backbreaking work, you know? And it was, it was (laughs) backbreaking work, you know? It wasn't anything easy, you know? Like, you have a thousand foot film in a magazine on a camera that's already 30 pounds. You've got something that's built out fully, like fully loaded. It's 80 pounds. And these guys were throwing it on their shoulders and doing handheld stuff, you know? So it's just like none of this stuff, none of the parts were, were, were light. They were all heavy. So then all of those parts together made this huge monster of a thing that it was just massive. And so you had these big guys who were like, six five like average like camera assistant you know like 250 muscle like these guys were just big and so here I am you know I'm five feet (laughs) you know I'm five feet tall (laughs) so I'm just like um and I'm a woman and I'm a woman of color so it was just like all of these things that were just like no one would take me seriously and so I for me being part of the union would signal not only am I good but I know what I'm doing and you can't tell me anything, you know, like you can't, you can't deny me. And so I knew that that's what I needed to be validated in the eyes of 
anybody who wanted to work with me, you know? Um, and a lot of times um, people of color are not in the union, you know, a lot of times by choice, you know, they mm-hmm. don't want to pay into something that is racist. They don't want to pay into something that um, you got to deal with certain attitudes on set, you know? So it's like a lot of guys opt out of that and they stay in the non-union world because it still pays them well and they get the respect at least in that world. And that's, that's fine. You know, I totally understand that. And I knew I could get on like pretty well in the non-union world for me and my aspirations. I knew that I needed the union to get to where I want to be and to be respected and to be validated in the eyes of many who would look at me at first instance and be like, no, she's Mm -hmm. not, Mm -hmm. she's not someone I I need right now. Mm -hmm. You know? Did you get better quality jobs once you joined the union? Uh, I mean, it was, it was really a lot of fun. I mean, I, I came from being a prep tech making like nine or, or $10 an hour. And then my first job out of there, um, it was with Louis Rothenberg and Craig Presgrove for this, like, I think this tier three film that was set in New Orleans, you know? So we shot in New Orleans, but the first week was in Vegas. And so I quit my job on a Friday, flew down to New Orleans that Sunday. And on Monday, they flew me to Vegas. I had my own suite. I had a car, you know, we were there for a week and then we came back to New Orleans and we shot the movie there for like six weeks. And then we came back up to New York and shot for a week in New York. And that was my first like real union film job, you know, and that was that was like the best thing I could ever ask for. I had never been on on an adventure like that. And that's what I felt like. You know, I felt like an adventure and I still I'm still friends with a lot of a lot of people that I met at the very beginnings of my career, you know, even from film school, you know. Uh, And so it's been nice to see not just me, but everyone around me that I started with grow, you know, like Louis Rothenberg, who hired me on that first job. He's now the president of our union. It's a great relationship to have and like just to know somebody like that who had an impact on my life and to see where they are in theirs, you know? Do you work out so that you're able to carry the heavy equipment that people questioned, you know, your ability to carry? I do. Yeah, I do. Um, And it's funny because just in this last year, I feel like I've I've gained some weight. So I've been like, okay, I got to hit the gym harder. But yeah, like working out has definitely helped keep my shoulders and my back and my core like being able to I feel like heal better because otherwise you start getting these aches and pains when you fall out of shape but yeah working out kind I kind of work out on set you know like you're you're carrying this camera all the time um you're carrying the batteries you're carrying everything and so you're pushing carts and it does become like a test of of strength and endurance you know, so those are the things I try to focus on. I try to focus on like my arm strength, my core strength and my back strength when I am in the gym. Um, a lot of squatting and making sure that, you know, I'm pushing from my legs. So it's just like having that overall body workout um, is always going to be beneficial to, um, you know, staying healthy and, and being able to hit hit. It's like a marathon, you know, so being able to, you know, have a long career. I think it's always going to help. What is your workflow process like with cinematographers in prep and then during um, production? 
Well, during prep, I will be asked by a DP uh, or, you know, a UPM or somebody who will call me and say, hey, I have this project coming up. Uh, Are you available? You know, and so that's where the whole um, it's all about who, you know, comes into play because, you know, my network of people, you know, I might get referred to a job by someone, you know, so. I'll have somebody call me up, ask me for my availability. And if I am available, I'll take the job and um, immediately get into, okay, what's our camera package? Um, and sometimes, you know, you have, you have some people who they don't know exactly what they want, you know, or they, they're like, oh, we just, we, we did something similar before. So we just ordered the exact same package. And then I'll see, so they'll have like the basic stuff like camera, media, batteries i personally like to have at minimum eight batteries onboard batteries per camera and like two block batteries if we have the budget for it 12 <laughs> on boards and maybe three blocks you know mm-hmm. um, making sure we have all the hand hand held stuff i've had situations where they'll say oh we don't we don't have it in the budget to get a a digital follow focus so we'll just get the manual one and i'm like well what's what are our shots you know so i have to ask them what are our shots what what do we what's the plan for the day and if they'll tell me oh yeah we're going to be on dolly like okay so no i i need my digital follow focus because if you're going to be on dolly doing these crazy moves i can't sit on the dolly with you a lot of times it's just you know i think in the old days they used to have the the ac with the on the dolly with the camera op but nowadays, it's not really as necessary, mm-hmm. especially with these, like, you know, uh, digital transmitted images on the monitors and stuff. So you don't need to be on the dolly. I like to be close to my operator. Just with those types of things, I, I try to fill in the gaps, basically. I'll get things just in case, you know. Sometimes I go onto a prep and there's no filters. I'm like, hey, we're going to be outdoors. We're going to need a rotopola. We're going to need some NDs. And those are the things that I know to just, you know, kind of put in some thought into it and be able to foresee based on my experience, like, okay, I did this before and I, they told me we didn't need it. And then I've been on set where they've been like, Hey, did you get that thing? I told you we didn't need, we actually do need it, you know? (laughs) And I'm just like, well, I'm glad I didn't listen to you, you know? (laughs) So those are the types of things that go into prep, just trying to get as much information as possible about what the shoot will entail. And then trying to fill in the holes of like where I see the package. And Okay. We don't, we, we don't have enough batteries. We only have one set of sticks. We're going to need to making sure that all my support and basically, basically making sure that my job is easier, making sure that I'm able to see things that, people on the production prep like don't see and then making sure that okay even if we don't even if they're saying we don't need this I think that we might and trusting my gut in that instance you know okay and what about um when you're on set so when I'm on set so the prep I would I I kind of build the camera out to be as close to studio mode as possible I put it in the coffin case and then by the time we get to set 
I want my camera to be ready to go. That all I got to do is put a battery on it and it's good to go. So trying to move as quickly and efficiently as possible is always the goal with safety in mind, you know? So I kind of want to get my, my camera um, up and running within 20 minutes, you know, um, and not needing more time than that so that no one can ever say that they're waiting on camera. Um, and then at that point, communicating with my operator, communicating with the DP, um, and sometimes even the director. You know, there's things that, um, there's some special moments that the DP or director sees that they're just like, hey, they'll sneak over and be like, hey, we see our actors kind of smiling or doing something off the cuff that that I like, start recording, mm -hmm. you know? So it'll be stuff like that. So just always being ready, like for anything to change, always being ready, like to go like, so I'm always by my camera. I don't drink as much water when I'm on set because I don't want any, like, I don't want the bathroom breaks to like to intrude on the timing on set. Yeah. I think that's, that's kind of the gist of it. I mean, it's just trying to move as quickly and efficiently as possible. And of course, you know, being able to hit my marks on the focal, on the focal end of things. Are there any tips you can offer us in regards to um, pole focusing? What I have done is to always make sure um, I ask the DP or the operator if it's not already clear. You know, a lot of times it kind of speaks for itself of what you're going to be focusing on and to um, just based on where the positioning of the camera is. But if there's multiple characters moving around and we're just kind of swinging our head and, you know, going back and forth between people or there's a lot of people crossing the frame, I just try to have the clarity and, and I ask the DP like, okay, is this who I'm focusing on? Is this, am I keeping it on them the whole time? Or when this person crossed, do I go to the person who's crossing? Like, what is, what, what do you want from me? The DP will let me know what they expect, what they want. If we get it on like the first two takes, great. And if there's more takes after that, then I try to switch it up. You know, I probably try to come in from out of focus, depending on what the shot is. So I will ask, I will ask the ADs uh, for some sides so that I know what we're shooting, who we're ta who's talking, what, what's the context of the scene, what's happening here. Is it an emotional scene? Is it, you know, funny? Is there, is there a gag? Is there, you know, just what are the elements of the scene going on? And I try to be as informed as possible. And then from there, get that clarity and get that understanding from the DP. Um, and then once we, usually after we get the first two takes and, you know, sometimes you have directors who they're happy with that and they move on really quickly. And you have some directors who they are, they're looking for something, you know, and they, they do take after take after take. So it's just like, I want to give them options, you mm. know? So maybe, maybe I'll focus on if they're picking up, you know, an item on the floor and then, you know, the scene starts with them. Oh, let me pick up this piece of this prop or whatever. And then say my line, like maybe I'm going to focus on the, the thing that they're picking up and then go to their face when they start speaking or, if they're talking about someone that's behind them, you know, like instead of keeping it on the person talking, getting the reaction of the person behind them, 
you know, like, oh, they're talking about me, you know, and like all that type of stuff. So I try to see where my operator is moving kind of and what what does my eye naturally go to, you know, and go to that. Mm -hmm. So there was a time um, there was one day on Beale Street. We were in the apartment and I think it was when she was telling them that she was pregnant and the reaction of so basically it was about Kiki, it was Kiki Lane who was doing her lines and this is about her and her news you know but right behind her Regina King is playing her mother and she's reacting non-verbally her body language and her face and her hands and all that stuff they're moving in a way like you know she's just a brilliant actress and so she's and so there were things that she was doing that I was like, what is she doing? And so I would just focus to her and then you would see like her pain or her love as a mother. And so, you know, it was really cool because the, the DP would let us do the shot. He would tell us what he wanted us to do. We would do it the way he wanted and we would get it really quickly. But Barry would want to keep doing more takes. And so after getting it the way that he wanted, he would come back to us and say, OK, now do whatever you do whatever you want to do, mm-hmm. you know? And so that was fun because it kind of gave us, you know, it, it allowed me and my operator Malcolm to uh, be a little bit more creative. And so we were able to, he would tell me like, Hey, I'm going to pan down and then like pull up and, and, you know, do this, or I'm going to tilt down and then, and then tilt up and get that, or I'm going to pan over to them over here on the right. And then, and then move push in on this, you know? And we would just kind of do things a little bit differently whenever they gave us the license to. And there was one time for that scene with Regina where I got her expressions that Barry came up to me and he was just like, basically whispered in my ear, like, thank you for doing that. Mm -hmm. You really helped me feel differently about this scene. And I think it's because you helped me see it through the eyes of a woman. Mm, mm. Wow. And so that was very encouraging. It was very, um, I was excited to hear that, you know, he had just come off of his win for Moonlight. And so that was, that was a great encouragement. And so it was just like, that was basically my green light to keep doing things like that, you know, to keep searching out the frame and seeing who else in in this frame is like expressing emotions that are nonverbal, you know, and helping the actors kind of express themselves in a way that, you know, I'm supporting them and they don't even know it, <laughs> you know? That's dope. Oh, yeah. 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 It's very dope. Can you talk about the differences between working on larger Hollywood projects, such as a Bill, if a, um, Bill Street could talk versus like a more indie guerrilla style film and, what kind of gears you have to use for both? Honestly, they both have their pros and cons. Like Beale Street could have actually been this big studio funded film, but because the studios were kind of telling them what to do, uh, it actually became more of an indie kind of film in that way, because then they went with their own private backers, backers and they didn't take the the studio funding or the studio backing for them, you know, because they didn't want too uh-huh. many heads in the pot you know like it was just too much going on I guess on that end of things 
but I've been on some big blockbuster films and they run a tight ship on the bigger budgets. Everything is very meticulously controlled. Like as a loader, you're told by the studio how to file the downloads. And so everything is meticulously like controlled and mediated. Everyone's job is very clearly like understood and, and known. And like a lot of times the departments kind of stick to themselves, like kind of like clicks in that sense. Um, you have hundreds of people, you know, like you could easily be on a on a big hundred million dollar picture and there's like 200 people on set, you know, sometimes more if you if you got like this huge scene with a lot of background. And That's so fathomable to me. Like I've never, but go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Yeah, it's insane. It's insane, yeah. but it's a lot of fun, you know, because it's just like you're seeing like how this big machine is is being run, you know, and you feel like you're one part of this huge machine being run, you know? Whereas like on a smaller film set, like I think that I think it's great for people who are starting out because there's more uh, cross-pollination between the departments, you know, like they might not have enough grip. I might help them like, oh, let me help you get the sandbag because you don't have a guy to do this and you're holding a light. So it's not, it doesn't fall on anybody's head, you know, like there's just, so you're able to learn the responsibilities and the tasks of the different jobs on set and the different departments on set. And so I think that like, so they're, they're all beneficial in different ways. So if you want to learn, if you're a PA and you want to learn, like a lot of times PAs think that they want to be directors, but then you get onto a set and you're realizing how big of a job that is. And you're like, wait, I don't want that job. And what are other things I could do? And you can help other departments do their job. And you end up making those relationships and you're like, oh, I actually like working in props or I like working in set design or I like, you know, there's so many different things. So I think that's what the smaller productions are good for. And so uh, and then sometimes you meet people who are more innovative, more creative on the smaller jobs. So there's tricks that you might learn that you might not learn on the bigger jobs because everything is so controlled. And like they've had their shot list already planned out like three months before. Everything is very clearly stated. Whereas like on a smaller production, you're able to be a little bit more, uh, you can have more input on the creativity. So it's all about what you want to get out of your experience, you know? And some for some people, it's just a check. And for some people, it's to express themselves creatively. You know, you can do that in different ways on each in each uh, situation yeah um what what is your favorite camera uh i'm biased i really am biased i really do love the alexa i was working at csc when they debuted uh the alexa it was like night and day it really was because you know there was the red camera before that but the red it's, it's there's a there's a lot you know there's a there's a lot that's just not there with it but that the Alexa just looks so good uh, for a digital camera, you know, especially with the mini where it's lightweight and it's very, um, what I love about the Alexa is that it really, I feel like democratized the industry, like it changed the industry uh, for the better. You know, that's when I feel like more women, more uh, 
I feel like there's more diversity on set. Like there's, I've seen more Asians and black people on set um, now than before. Um, it really, it really changed the game. Like, I just love, I just love that camera. I love how things look on it, you know, and some people, you know, they like other cameras, you know, I think the Venice is also another really good camera. It has a dual ISO uh, base. So it's just like, you can really get some, like, uh, some really great uh, pictures off of like really low light situations where it's really dark, but you can still see the detailing on someone's face. So Sony definitely uh, up the ante with this new camera of theirs. I think it came out about a year, a year and a half ago. And it's a great camera, but I just feel like I just I just love the Alexa. I'm just partial to it. And I think it's because I started with that company. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that camera also. So I get it. It's beautiful. It looks yes, like it, it looks like <laughs> film. It's the closest thing it to film. It looks really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it was the first digital camera that I feel like that really made, it didn't have a digital look, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's just like, yeah, you have other companies who are chasing that and who who've helped improve it too. But I always like going with the originator and the innovator, you know, and Ari is always a really good workhorse. Can you talk about um, how you learn how to use these? I mean, obviously I know you learn how to use these cameras on set on the job. Um, but did you find any resources to kind of test and play with these cameras before getting on set, you know, to maybe prep or just to get more information and knowledge? I mean, there's always a a reading material that you can take into consideration. Uh, Me, I'm more of a hands-on kind of person. I, I like to learn by pressing the buttons, you know? So for me, the prep is where I can learn all of these things. Um, if there is any new firmware or software or whatever that they've installed, like, hey, what have you guys done to improve this camera? Like, what what do I need to know? What is this? Like, if, if I'm in this situation where we got to go slow-mo, it, it's all pretty straightforward with the Alexa. That's it's, So I know that because I know that camera really well. Um, but if I'm working with a camera that I don't know well, I, I use my time at the prep to figure out, hey, how do I change the frame rate? How do I change the shutter angle, the this, the that, you know, because there's different, different cameras have different menu systems that you have to go through to sort of figure out how to change certain settings. So I try to know a lot of like the quick keys or the, the basic stuff that we usually change on set. Like, how do I do that here? And yeah, the prep is really good for that. Uh, and the prep techs with the engineers and technicians at the rental houses. Um, are really informative and I don't care how silly I sound asking any question I just ask it and don't get embarrassed about it Mm -hmm. and they're really good and really understanding with like oh and let me show you this other neat trick that we did with this like this improvement you know that was another thing I actually learned this weekend on the camera test yesterday that Ari has this firmware where the where the mini can shoot and look like a super 16 camera. So we were shooting it in this setting. Um, we changed it to super 16 and I was just like, wait, how did I never, I never knew about this. And they were like, yeah, this is one of the newest additions to the firmware that they've added. And so it applies a, a graininess to the image without having to pass it in, in the post, wow. like 
you know? It looked beautiful. It looked really, really good. And even the DIT, I mean, or the DP, she was just like, she she was like, damn it, like, this looks amazing and I can't fight this because she, it was basically a camera test between are we going to shoot on the Mini or are we going to shoot on the Venice? You know, and she's mm. very, she loves the Venice, but her director loves the Mini and he was sold on the Mini because of the Super 16 feature. And so what they ended up deciding was that for the special shots where that Super 16 feature is necessary, they're probably going to shoot it on the Mini, but for everything else, they're going to shoot it on the Venice. And so that was the result of that test yesterday. And it was like, I was like, wow, okay, this is awesome. What do you think about the Black Magics? The Black Magics, um, I haven't had their new ones. I've heard a lot of great things about the newer models that they have. For me, I've kind of stayed away from it because um, at least in the beginning with previous models that they had, they just didn't perform well on the battery side of things. The batteries would always like, it would just die really quickly, you know? So it was always replacing the battery constantly. And because it was a small, it was a small body, you know, it was just, it was just not reliable for the kinds of shoots that I was on, you know? So I think it's a good camera for, or it has been a good camera, like more for student films that can look really good on a cheaper budget, you know? Um, before, I mean, I, it's, it's not ideal for the studio projects that I'm on because it's just a smaller body and there's so many different attachments that you need um, that it's, it's, it's just not ideal, at least not for the projects that I'm on, you know. But mm. I think that if you're doing a music video, if you're doing a documentary or if you have a really, really tight budget, um, it's a great option to have, you know. And I think it's great that anybody who wants to tell the story can be able to purchase a camera like that that gives them a high quality image mm -hmm. you know so i just root for anybody who wants to tell a story it doesn't matter what what you use i mean i worked with the dp who shot tangerine and that was on an iphone you know so yeah. i'm not against any kind of equipment being used but it's just like what makes my job easier on a big shoot and an iPhone probably isn't what I want to use if I want to do my job efficiently, you know? Do you have difficulty working with directors that focus solely on the actor's performance and may not have as much technical knowledge? Do you feel like it compromises the quality of like the shots? No, no, because you hope that the DP can um, filter that language into something that is... Um, something we can work with you know but you have you have directors like David Fincher who can do everybody's job better than them you know <laughs> uh he goes in and he knows everything about the camera um has exact not just exact measurements but like down to the angle of degree that the camera should be in to get a plate shot to um what lens you should be on and what I, where the iris should be set. Like he knows that sometimes even more than the DP, mm. you know, because he's such a technical guy, but he's been doing, he's been making films since he was a kid, you know, like literally like since he was a child, like I knew, I 
actually worked with his childhood best friend and they grew up like making horror movies like in their backyard Mm -hmm. so this is a guy like in the same thing with tarantino and the same thing with spike that it's just like they know every single person's job on set so if the sound person is like if we're waiting if we if we find ourselves like what are we waiting for why aren't we doing the tape you know you have spike saying what are we waiting on and it's like oh sound they need to change their batteries It's just like, well, that takes two minutes and we've been waiting for 10 minutes. What's going on? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, it turns out that they weren't prepared for their batteries to be dead. So they had to run to the camera truck, to the camera truck where the sound equipment is like eight blocks away. Wow. And then run back, you know, and then just and then, you know, they get kind of ripped on set. So it's just like you were not prepared. You know, you need to be prepared if you if you need to be able to see that. If your batteries die, do I have some close by me, you know, and and they'll be told about themselves on set, you know, so that's that's what a technical director does. They know everybody's job and they will check people for wasting their time. Uh, So you've got to be on your toes. You've got to have like all your T's crossed and your I's dotted with those guys. Whereas like with a with an actor's director, they're more creative. They're more kind of like flighty and like and kind of like the experience of filmmaking you know so they kind of don't get involved in the technical things and you have you just have people um who can say oh yes it's just taking me 10 minutes to switch out this battery on this boom mic when no they don't know that it takes two (laughs) minutes to do something like that you know so it's just like they kind of won't know certain things like that i mean there's just there's there's benefits to both. You know, I've learned a lot with the technical directors and I've learned a lot with the creative directors. So it's just, it's just making sure everything runs smoothly, regardless of who's at the helm. All right. Thank you, Michelle, for joining us on the black film space podcast. This was an amazing interview. Um, Mm -hmm. Love your passion, enthusiasm. And I I learned a lot. Um, So where can people find you on the internet or social media? My social, well, I have my website, michelleclementine.com. Um, I've been moving more into uh, shooting and camera operating. So I, I've, you know, right now I'm by Coastal and I've been DPing more projects. So you can find some of my work there and on my Instagram, cinnamontine. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, cinnamontine at Gmail is my email. But Cinnamon Time um, on Instagram um, is my social media. If people want to find me there. All right. How do you spell that? C-I-N-E-M-E-N-T-I-N-E. It's a cross between, you know, cinema and Clementine. Oh, that's beautiful. Okay. Awesome. Thank you, Michelle. Thanks for listening to the Black Film Space podcast. If you're interested in being part of our community and attending events, please visit us at blackfilmspace.com and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Black Film Space. Subscribe to our email list and podcast. All right, see you soon.